Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see your faces. Uh, boy, that last song is something, ain't it? Yeah, amen. You know, it's like, you know, I, I don't know if you're music people. I'm a music guy. I love music. Uh, I'm, not a, I'm not an artist or a performer. I'm, and I, I, says, I love to worship, right? Says, oh, yeah. I'm, but I'm not. I'm not that guy. I just love to worship. And, but I love to sing. I, love to, I like country music, my poor family, you know. Uh, anytime we're going on vacation or going anywhere. And I'm one of those people, too. Like, if when, I'm, when, I'm, when, I'm, when a song comes on, it speaks to me. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about, right? And you're like, uh, you know what I mean? You're into it. And then somebody starts talking to me in the middle of that song, no matter who it is. I want to open the door and kick them out of the moving car, right? <laughs> I just, just leave me alone in my moment, you know what I mean? Well, I'm the weird one. I, I understand this. I'm a weirdo. But, you know, you have those songs and, and there's certain love songs that maybe makes you think of your husband and your wife and, and, or something, a song that makes you think of your kids, you know what I mean? Uh, and for me, it's uh, Guns N' Roses, Sweet Child of Mine. You know, <clears throat> I was thinking my, my Tay-Tay, you know, she's my, my firstborn with the blue eyes, you know, and I, I always think of Taylor when that horrible song comes on. So, uh, but to have, to have a love song to Jesus, right, and, and there's, those, there's those certain songs, isn't there, that when they come on and you begin to sing along and your heart goes, remember in the Grinch, when, when the Grinch gets saved <laughs> up on the mountain and his heart goes bing, boom, bing like that and grows three sizes too big, you know, and... And don't you love when your heart does that, you know, when the Lord just speaks to you? And it's like, sometimes even when you least deserve it, or when you're least ready for it, or, or, or you, you, you're not in a good place mentally, emotionally, and all of a sudden the love of, of Christ will just, will just filter into your life and overcome you and overwhelm you suddenly. It is the most powerful uh, and, and wonderful thing. And so take that, multiply that times 100 billion zillion trillion and that's what every single second in heaven's going to be like. Yeah. Every single moment, every second, there will never be a, 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 there won't even be moments, right? There's no time at all. But there will never be any, any period or, or punctuation of, of, of any part of your existence that won't be where you're busting, where you're not just absolutely blown away. You know what I'm saying? You, you see these, the scenes in heaven, and the, they can't even walk past the throne of God. <laughs> they they got to throw their, their, their crowns down on the glassy sea and bow before him. Holy, holy, holy. You know, you wonder if God's going, yeah, I know, guys. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, every time you walk by, you don't have to say, no, we do every single time, you know. We can't even begin to fathom or imagine uh, the glory that awaits us. And, and I tell you what, man, if that don't give you hope, right? Uh, it, without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? And without faith, it's impossible to live the, this life the way God has intended us to live this life. You know, all the verses that we love about we're being more than victors and, and all of these things and, and that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, it begins and, and exists and, and will end with our faith, with our faith. That's the, the meeting point where God begins to operate in our lives. That's, the, that's what happens in, when salvation occurs is when that person's eyes are opened. And remember Paul when he was blinded on the road to Damascus and then when he gets saved, it says something like scales fell off of his eyes. That was probably gross. You know, maybe that was the beginning of his eye problems that they say he had, you know what I mean? But he was blind and now he could see. Something like scales fell off his eyes. And I don't know if that was more physically or, or spiritually, but when that happens, that's where, where, the, where the faith becomes real to you, right? Faith is described in the Bible as evidence and substance. 
You understand that, right? You understand the, the, the irony of that? That the description, the definition given of faith is, is substance and evidence. It's not a blind faith. It's not just you just believe because you, you want to and ethereally and blah, 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 blah. There is that moment when you actually begin to really, truly see. And part of our frustration as believers in Jesus Christ is when we look around the world today and we see what's happening and we watch, just watch and listen, everything that's happening and you see an entire world uh, without faith and without belief and they're angry and, and, and many just hate God and rage with God and they just can't see what you see. They absolutely cannot see what you're able to see and you can't make them. That's frustrating sometimes. That can be very frustrating sometimes. You cannot make them see. There, there has to be that moment where their faith is activated, where they desire, they truly desire, I want to see God. As the prophet said in the Old Testament, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek after me with all your heart. There has to be something where it's no longer me. I don't have any desire anymore to run and chase after the things that pertain to me, but I want to run and chase after God. And oh, remember the Dr. Seuss book? Oh, the places you'll go. <laughs> if, if only you knew back then, right? Oh, the places you'll go that God will take you through faith, which is a little bit of what we're talking about this morning. Uh, let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and Lord, for the examples that you have given us in Scripture, Father, both good examples and bad examples, Lord, so that we could learn, so that we could know what true faith looks like, Father, what true obedience looks like. Uh, Lord, and we pray that you would help us to walk in, in the footsteps of those who believed. Uh, Lord, and then when it comes to living it out in our lives, Father, we pray that you would help us to imitate Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, Lord, and to walk, to seek to walk as he walked, Father, and to follow in his steps, uh, Lord, to show not only that faith, not only that obedience, Father, but that never-ending um, love, Father, and compassion that he had for people, Lord, and, uh, and how he was always reaching out and pouring himself out, Father, for others. And uh, we pray that you would put that within us, Father, that thing that we confess, it ain't there naturally, uh, Lord. Uh, but we pray that supernaturally as we study your word together, Father, that you would strengthen us, that you would equip us, uh, Lord, and that you would prepare us for the work of ministry that you have plan for each person here individually, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So Joshua chapter 11 <clears throat> is where we're picking up. And it came to pass, um, I remember Pastor Chuck saying, you know, the Bible's amazing. And, and, he, and he remember, he, he said, I, he listened to a guy preach one time and the guy preached a whole message on, on, on those five words. And, and Pastor Chuck, you know, he goes, we can be so cynical as Christians and stuff, and stuff like that, and we can be so uh, quickly to judge and stuff like that. He goes, but, you know, never underestimate the power of God to do whatever he wants to do through his word, even if it's something that, and I'm not talking about biblical error, I'm talking about things that to us may seem silly. And he says, he talks about this, this pastor that preached his whole message on those five words, it came to pass. And his whole thing was, he was talking about trials and tribulations, and he was like, it didn't come to stay. <laughs> it came to pass. You're like, well, that's not what it means here, and blah, 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 blah. But God's word is, God's word is amazing. And I, I'm tickled every time I read it came to pass, that comes in my head. So maybe it was for dummies like me. Uh, and it came to pass, <laughs> and that thing in your life came to pass, okay? <laughs> well, we're going we're gonna to continue on. When Jabin, king of Hazor, heard these things, what things? Well, you've got to go elude back to chapter 10. Joshua and the children of Israel are absolutely rolling 
through southern, uh, southern Canaan. They are absolutely rolling through, and they are steamrolling everything in their path. God's judgment is absolutely being poured out on the land of Canaan uh, during this period of time. These few chapters, in the, talking about the conquests, this is, and, and remember this in your mind, this isn't them going and just taking land and blah, 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 blah. This is God's holy and righteous and furious judgment being poured out on the land of Canaan. And they absolutely are destroying every major city. They go in and they raise it to the ground and they kill every living, breathing thing in those cities. It is absolutely the judgment of God. And when King uh, Jabin, king of Hazor, heard these things, then he sent to Jobab, king of Madon, uh, to the king of Shimron, to the king of Eshaph, and to the kings who were from the north, in the mountains, in the plains south of Chinneroth, in the lowland, and in the heights of Dor on the west. To the Canaanites in the east and in the west, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite in the mountains, and the Hivite below Hermon in the land of Mizpah. So they went out, they and all their armies with them, as many people as the sand that is on the seashore in multitude, with very many horses and chariots. And when all these kings had, had met together, they came and camped together at the waters of Miram to fight against Israel. Now, this main city uh, li that's, that's listed here in the beginning of chapter 11, Hazor, uh, has, was uncovered by archaeologists, and it is about 200 square acres. Now, remember, uh, Jericho was about 10 square acres, all right, with the mighty walls and all this. Hazor was a major, major city in, in the northern part of, uh, of the land of Canaan at that time, before it became northern and southern Israel. Before, in the land of Canaan, they were a major city. They were right along uh, a trade route that connected Egypt, Syria, Babylon, and the Mediterranean coast. Uh, it was a very large and important and prosperous city. They found evidence of actual archives. You know, when you're watching like Lord of the Rings, right? And Gandalf thinks he's found the one true ring, and so he has to go to the city far away to the archives and, and, and read through the history books to find out what was going on and all this stuff, and all these movies and like that, if, if you're into that kind of thing. There's always the city that has the archives in it. That was like the main major city. Well, uh, Hazor had the archives. It had an archive. They uncovered that. Uh, and the ruins also uncovered heavy Egyptian influence. Uh, some of their gods, some of their money, a lot of, a lot of e Egyptian influence right there. And this King Jabin, of course, has been following the progress of Joshua and Israelites and their move north, and he realizes now that they will be set upon soon. Uh, he sees as Joshua and the nation of Israel shift and begin to move northward that they are going to be next. And so he's not just going to sit there and wait. He sees what happens, right? He has seen what happens in all these other cities when they sit and wait for the Israelites to come to them. They just roll over them. So he's forward thinking. He's preempt, being preemptive here. And he goes out to all these other kings in the north, to the east and the west, and the mountains and the plains and everywhere. And he gathers this massive, massive army. Notice what it says in verse 4. They went out, they and all their armies with them, as many people as the sand that is on the seashore in multitude with many horses and chariots. Now, the chariots were in those days like tanks, okay? They were a major, major, major advantage in battle. Uh, I mean, horses and chariots, that was, that was the technology. That was huge, 
Uh, you know, if you've ever watched the, the movie Braveheart, you know, and he talks about 400 heavy horse, you know what I mean? Shake the bitty ground. You remember that, that scene? And so they, I don't know, they make these long spears and stuff like that. But, but it, was, it was a frightful thing, okay? If you see an army vast and says, how many people are there? Oh, a couple, looks like a few thousand. Uh, it looks like a, looks like, no, it looks like the sand of the seashore, Josh. How does that sound, buddy? It looks like the sand of the seashore with many horses and chariots rumbling, literally shaking the ground. This would be a fearful, fearful thing uh, as far as a battle goes. And perhaps none of these kingdoms, all of these, these cities, had never, ever joined forces together like this before. Uh, this, is, this is like an unprecedented thing. And all of them are gathering together because they realize uh, that the end is at hand. So then in verse 6, uh, the Lord, but, but the, I like that. You see, now you want to talk about like a few couple of words. There, there's three words. This is a tattoo verse, right? Okay, we talk about the verses people like to get tattooed on their bodies because they, they don't even know what the heck the verses mean. Hey, here's one to tattoo on you, but the Lord. Uh, but the Lord. No matter what's going on, no matter what the obstacles, no matter what's happening in your life, no matter the trials, the tribulations, the circumstances that seem insurmountable, unprecedented, there's no way we can get through this. There's no way we're going to survive this. There's no way what can possibly... But the Lord. You remember that. But the Lord. And God can simply do whatever he wants to do. And his will will be accomplished. Now, we talk about his permissive will versus his sovereign will. And there's all these other philosophical, theological things that we can talk about and we can discuss. But let me tell you something that I know absolutely one billion percent for a fact. When God opens his mouth and speaks and actually says, this is what I'm going to do, guess what? <laughs> and, and it doesn't matter, kids. It just doesn't matter, right? Anybody, I'm, I'm in a weird pop culture mood today. I apologize. But, but there was a period of my time, and you're going to have to forgive me, pray for me, when I watched the, the wrestling, the WWE, okay? I'm sorry, all right? My wife was pregnant for Taylor, our first child. I was bored and lonely. <laughs> I was alone. She was in bed at 8 o'clock, and I'd be sitting there, oh, 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 God. So I would turn on the TV, and the big famous wrestler at that time was The Rock. You all know him from acting now, Dwayne Johnson, right? But then he was The Rock, and he was the coolest. I was like a schoolgirl again. It was really, really embarrassing, okay? I, I, I got a video about The Rock and his, and his career. It's not even real, man. Okay, and I'm like, I'm like, the rock, the rock, you know, and he'd come running, running down to beat up the bad guys, and then the rock, the rock, the rock, but he was hilarious, and he had this funny thing where the bad guy wrestlers would come into, come into the ring, and they'd be like, oh, do, 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 and he'd be doing all this stuff, and the rock would ask them a question, right? He would ask them a question, and just as they would begin to answer, he would say like, what's your name? What's your name? What's my name? What's my name? My name is, and the rock would go, it doesn't matter what your name is, Right? I, I love that, all right? I got problems here. Hey, listen, listen to me. But Lord, I got, it doesn't matter what your problems are, but the Lord. Okay, hey, and it's L-O-R-D, it's capital, it is the great I am, it is Jehovah Jireh, it is Yahweh, it is Adonai, the king of the universe. It doesn't matter what your problems are. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are, but the Lord. Amen? But the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid because of them. Now, you know what it means when God tells somebody not to be afraid? 
Do you know what is happening immediately before that? They're afraid, <laughs> okay? You, you, you don't walk up to someone who's just like, <sighs> and you don't be afraid, buddy. Don't be afraid. What? Don't be afraid. You, you look at when somebody's looking over at the valley or wherever his, his, his vantage point was, maybe where he could see this army and these chariots, and he's, uh, 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 you know what I mean? I don't know about this one, Lord, you know? And God comes to him and says, do not be afraid. So many times throughout the book of Joshua where God tells Joshua, be strong and be courageous. And then at the end of Joshua's life, when he's talking to the people and he repeats that to them, be strong and be very courageous. Do not be afraid because of them. For tomorrow, about this time, I will deliver all of them slain before Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. And you're thinking, why? But we'll, we'll get to that. So Joshua and all the people of war with him came against them suddenly by the waters of Miram, and they attacked them. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel, who defeated them and chased them to greater Sidon, to the brook Misrephah, and to the valley of Mizpah eastward. They attacked them until they left none of them remaining." So Joshua did to them as the Lord had told him. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. Joshua turned back at that time and took Hazor and struck its king with the sword, for Hazor was formerly the head of all those kingdoms. And they struck all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them. There were none left breathing. Then he burned Hazor with fire. So all the cities of those kings and all their kings Joshua took and struck with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. Uh, God is specific here before this when, when he comes to Joshua and he says, do not be afraid. He is specific not only in the fact that they will be victorious, but in the details of the victory. God looks past the problem. God looks on the other side of this massive army as the sand of the seashores with their horses and their chariots. And when he tells Joshua, do not be afraid, then he begins to speak to the other side of that battle. He doesn't even give credence to the battle itself other than I'm going to deliver them into your hands. That's it. He doesn't even, he, it, it's, it's not even there. What battle? What battle? What problem? What situation? What are, you, what are you talking about? Here's what I want you to do in the victory. Here's my instructions to you in the victory right? He does, Joshua, don't, don't even consider the battle. Why? What does the scripture say about the battle? Belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. Joshua, here's what I want you to do in your victory. Amazing. Amazing how God is. Um, David would write in Psalm 20, uh, verse 7, and you guys know this, it was an old praise song, some trust in chariots and some in horses but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. What's your strength today? What's your strength? Because, because to, every, to any human mind, to any uh, uh, human understanding, to the militarily uh, wise, uh, to, the, to the, the normal person in the world in that day, uh, to stand before chariots and horses of that magnitude would be insanity. Be absolutely insanity. We cannot win. This is an insurmountable. The odds are insurmountable. We can't surpass this. We will trust in the Lord. That's a beautiful, beautiful psalm. So verse 7 and 8, Joshua preemptively attacks them and absolutely routes them. I love that. I love that because here's what I see in my mind because I have to see it, right? I have, when I'm reading it, I got to see it in my brain. And I see Joshua and he is afraid now. 
even after all the victories that God has given him. Uh, and, and it's amazing, too, because the things in your past, sometimes you just naturally assume that's how it's going to be in the future, right? That's why the Bible talks about new wineskins and, and new wine versus old wineskins and old wine. He's talking about the Lord may very well be intending to do a new thing. Don't look to the past and say, well, because it was done like that or because God did this in the past, this is how God's going to do this in the future. And because God did this in this way in my life then, this is the way he's going to do it again now. I'm not talking about going, departing from God's word. I'm just talking about in your life and the way that God's Holy Spirit is poured out. He always does it the same way. It's always focused around the word of God and Jesus Christ, right? The finished work of Jesus Christ. But oftentimes, remember, you know, again, going back to the beginning of the Calvary Chapel movement, it all came from churches didn't let those dirty, stinking hippies in the church, right? They're going to get the carpets dirty. They're going to get the seats dirty with their long hair. They're gross. They don't, they don't bathe. They stink. And they would tell these hippies when they're, because they're trying to find themselves, man. So they wander up to a church and they say, go take a shower, cut your hair, put some proper clothes on, and then you can come into this church. And Pastor Chuck just had this thought in his mind that what if, what if, but the Lord, what if, what if God just wants us to accept these kids as they are and tell them about Jesus Christ? I mean, for heaven's sakes, uh, um, who's Applegate? John Corson. He went to, to Oregon, and he plants a church there that became Applegate Christian Fellowship. A huge, but when he first went there, it was a hippie commune. It was an absolute hippie commune, and they all got saved and came to Jesus Christ. And he said, well, tomorrow we're going to have a baptism, and I want you all to come down to the, whatever it was, the lake or the pond or wherever they were at, and we're going to baptize everybody. They all came naked. I mean, butt naked. You know what I mean? Stupid hippies, right? And John Corson, he didn't cast them away and yell at them and castigate them. He baptized them. And then probably said, that, no, 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 go get dressed, please. For the love, you know, go get dressed. But he just baptized them because, because that, that's where they were at. You understand? We need to help as much as we possibly can and encourage people to come to Jesus Christ. Now, we don't ever compromise the word. Okay, and it's, and it's important that we reiterate that again and again and again and again because the world and a whole big faction of the church today wants you to compromise what the Bible says. And we absolutely cannot do that. It is the word of God. But we don't get people to come to Jesus Christ by taking the word of God and smacking them in the face with it. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You, all you have to do is repent and believe and come to Jesus Christ. All you who are weary and heavy laden, he wants to give you rest. He wants to deliver you from your sin. Now, there's always that stumbling block, that stumbling stone of offense that people have to get over, that I am a sinner and I need to relinquish control of my life to the living God and to this Bible. That's a tough pill to swallow because people naturally want to be the Lord of their own life. I don't know if you've noticed this, but people want to do it their way. They want to do it their way, and the idea of relinquishing that control, and we even say, all to Jesus I surrender, until the next day comes and it's time to go out and do this or this and this. And I, get what I find myself, I'm doing what Frank Thomas wants to do. I'm doing it Frank Thomas's way. And I'm not as careful as I talk about in my worship about saying, Lord, if this is what you want me to do, hey, Lord, this is my plan for the day. 
Now, here's, here's a tough one. Hey, Lord, we're going to the beach today. We're going to swim. We're going to do whatever, blah, blah, blah. This is my plan. We've got these awesome plans. Let's go. Let's get you where it hurts you. Okay? We got these awesome plans. Hey, Lord, hey, Lord, feel free to interrupt. Is Jesus free to interrupt you? Is Jesus free? Does he have the freedom and the lordship in your life to stop you in your tracks, no matter where you are doing the thing you love the most, and say, it's not about that. It's about serving me. Does he have the freedom? Or when he does that, do we, and by we, I mean me, go, ah, you know, and lose our minds? I, it's amazing, this wickedness in my heart, how angry I get over inconvenience. But mom had one of her old 70s hippie uh, worship albums from back in the day, and there was a song, and in it was this line that said, disappointment, his appointment. Disappointment, his appointment. Lord, guide me today. Lord, direct me. Imagine walking through every day of your life with that kind of faith, right? We're, play, we're doing this. I got this and this, this, and then the car breaks down. This happens, this happens. I get injured. <laughs> whatever the case may be, whatever the deal is, God, what are you doing? God, give me eyes to see. Lord, guide me. Show me. My life is at your discretion. It's to be lived at your discretion. Does he have the freedom to do that? Uh, so, um, so anyways, Joshua, seeing this, the Lord says, be afraid, and then begins to speak of what he wants him to do after the victory, and Joshua doesn't hesitate. Once he's bolstered, once he's bolstered in his faith and the Lord encourages him like that, he musters the army and they go right down to where the enemy is. They don't wait for the enemy to gather, to form ranks. They don't wait for the next morning because that's when you go out to bed. They don't hesitate. They don't wait. And I wonder what that may have looked like from afar. Them like, this, these people are going to get wiped out. They go directly straight into the center of that army. And the Lord gives them the victory and they rout them. Uh, Jesus told Peter that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. Now, when he said that, you got to understand, Jesus was talking offense, not defense. He was talking offense, not defense. The gates of hell not prevailing against the church means the church is at the gates of hell going... That we are going out to the world, we are going out to where the wickedness is, that we are going out into where the gates of hell are, and we're not afraid, and we're pounding on the door. Why? But God. But the Lord. That's why, because he's strong. Of all the places that Paul, the Apostle Paul, could have or would have desired to go and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, where did he want to go most? Rome the gates of hell, literally. I mean, it was the most wicked, the end of the Roman Empire, friends, right? It was, it was absolutely as bad as the Canaanites. I mean, it was absolutely abominable. It was an abominable place. Nero, uh, you know, this is later, but Nero, when he began his persecution and slaughter of the church of Jesus Christ, in his garden, by his palace in his garden, he had stakes lining the roadways, and he lit those stakes because he had bodies of Christians tied to the stakes, doused in oil, and set on fire. And he was ride his, ride his chariot up and down the path, laughing maniacally while the Christians burned. Okay? This is where Paul wanted to go. He wanted to go to the gates of hell. God, send me to the gates. Send me to the gates. Instead of sitting back and saying, I hope God doesn't send me here. I hope God doesn't send me here, okay? Forgive me, uh, I, I don't want to speak crassly, but 
I was listening to a Navy SEAL, and, and, he, and his whole talk, and I think, it's, I think it's one of their actual slogans that's on their shirts and stuff like that, and is embrace the suck, right? And what that means is, in his, this guy's mind, this Navy SEAL was saying, the worst, I want whatever the hardest, worst, most awful, most insurmountable, most difficult, that's what I want. Give me that. That's what I want to go after. That's the attitude that they try to instill in these Navy SEALs. I mean, you've got to be hardcore, right, to be a Navy SEAL. These dudes are tough as nails, and that's their motto. If I see something that seems difficult or if I'm given, if there's a task and they volunteer it, who wants to do this thing and it seems awful and it's, that, give it to me, I want it. Give it to me. Now, that, that's, that's, that's faith in, in your country, right? That's a belief in your country. How ought we to have, how ought our faith to be when it comes to the kingdom of God? the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and, and that we have been called to be those beautiful feet that bring good news. Now, we don't have to go shoot people, right? That's not what we do. Uh, we don't have to go take people out, but we need to bring good news to people. Lord, what am I missing? God, where do you want me to go maybe that my eyes have been blind to? Now, it's very important, Christian, that you understand, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who try it all. And, and we're not Lone Ranger, you know, uh, Batman vigilante types as Christians, okay? Where we just go out and we say, I'm going to, and I'm going to, you know, it was that young guy that, that decided he was going to go bring the gospel to that island where there's the natives there that are very fierce and violent, and no person outside of that tribe had ever set foot on that island and lived to tell the tale. And he decided he was going to go bring the gospel to these natives. I remember the story before it happened. And I'm thinking to myself, he said, the Lord told me to go. And I said, well, buddy, we're going to find out. We're going to find out. And, and listen, maybe he gave him the gospel and then they killed him and the seed was planted and it was God's will. I have no idea, right? But it seemed to kind of be, da, 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 you know, Jesus said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. But, but be very sensitive be very willing to hear and be willing to allow God to maneuver you, to redirect you. Because when he sets you on a path and when he sends you someplace to do his will, it will be accomplished. You can start talking about the victory before you even get there because that's how God, that's how God works. Um, so Joshua, after this defeat, he hamstrung the horses, he burnt the chariots, and he completely destroyed the city of Hazor, even going so far as to burn it to the ground. Um, and note, we're going to read, no other city built on a mound he burned, but the central city, this central city that served as an example uh, of the power of God and his judgment, he burned to the ground. And absolutely, when they uncovered the ruins of Hazor, and they're going down through the layers of destruction, and they can see the layers, and, and this corresponds with this century. The archaeology is amazing, uh, a lot of what they do. And they, they absolutely uncovered this whole layer of burnt ash uh, throughout the city of Hazor. It was burnt to the ground. It was burnt to the ground. It serves as an example. Uh, let's see. Verse, let's, let's pick up in verse 13. But as for the cities that stood on their mounds, here it is, Israel burned none of them except Hazor only, uh, which Joshua burned. And all the spoil of these cities and the livestock, the children of Israel took as booty for themselves. But they struck every man with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them, and they left none breathing. As the Lord had commanded Moses his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. 
Thus Joshua took all this land, the mountain country, all the south, all the land of Goshen, the lowland, and the Jordan plain, the mountains of Israel and its lowlands, from Mount Halak, and the ascent to Seir, even as far as Baal Gad in the, in the valley of Lebanon below Mount Hermon, he captured all their kings and struck them down and killed them. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. And there was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon, and all the others they took in battle. Remember, the Gibeonites came and deceived them. We talked about that a couple weeks ago and said that they were from a faraway land, so please make a peace treaty and negotiate with us. Uh, and we talked about the fact that Gibeah was a city of men of valor. These were warriors. They were not weak men. They were strong men. And they saw what God was doing to the nation of Israel. And they knew one thing. We better find a way. <laughs> Come heck or high water in one way or another. You know, even though it's amazing to me, God's faithfulness, right? Because even though they did it through deception and Joshua was annoyed with them, which always makes me t laugh a little bit when Joshua got annoyed with them, when he was like, you deceived us. It's like, dude, you're going to kill us, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry I deceived you, you know what I mean? But, 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 and God honored that, you know, and, and the tabernacle was set up in their land, uh, and they served the tabernacle. And up until the time of, the, of Solomon building the temple, they served there as well, just as Joshua had said. Um, let's see, I'm sorry, uh, but... There was not a city that they made peace with, uh, with the children of Israel, except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon, all the others they took for battle. Here it is. For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts, that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might utterly destroy them, and that they might receive no mercy, but that he might destroy them as the Lord had, had commanded Moses. At that time, Joshua came and cut off the Anakim from the mountains, that's the giants, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, from all the mountains of Judah, and from all the mountains of Israel, Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities. Now, this is interesting. None of the Anakim, these are the giants that were in the land, none of the Anakim were left in the land of the children of Israel. They remained only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod. Now, do you remember who's from Gath? Goliath. Goliath was from Gath, and he was a descendant of the Anakim. That's why he was a giant, okay? And, and these were like, these were like a, a, a freaky, supernatural giants. This goes back again to Genesis chapter 6, where we have this mysterious thing that God talks about, where the sons of God saw that the daughters of men uh, were beautiful. They married them. They had children with them. And these were the giants of old, men of renown. And it said, and they were on the land in those days before the flood. It says, and also afterward. And so there's this mysterious thing. The Bible gives us a blurb. It's like, come on, you know what I mean? I want to know, I want to know more. Um, but there's this, but, but these giants were, had settled into the land of Canaan. Now, one of the um, hypotheses that, that some people have, um, have had is that, that this is one of the reasons, it was the reason for the flood, and it was one of the reasons for the total and complete destruction of Canaan. One of the reasons was that God wanted to absolutely wipe out this line this lineage of giants from the land that had come from this unholy union between fallen angels, literally, and human women. And people say, you know, well, 2021, I don't see how it can get much worse as it was in the time of Noah, the Bible says. As it was in the time of Lot, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. You, you go read about the, the, what was going on on planet Earth before the flood. You read what was going on in Sodom, uh, before God rained down fire and brimstone on it. It could, get, it could get worse, right? When demons physically materialize and start having children, you know, 
that's, imagine the darkness. You know, you read Revelation, it talks about the people of earth worshiping the beast and also worshiping the dragon who gave the beast his power. They are literally worshiping Satan. Now, I believe that this is not Satan with cloven hooves and a pointy forked tail and the horns. It's interesting. Why historically has that been the picture that's been painted of Satan when the Bible clearly says that he appears as a what? An angel of light. An angel of light. Now we got the Pentagon saying we got UFOs and Tic Tacs and every other thing. I mean, really, how's it all going to tie together, friend? Well, that sounds crazy talk. Well, uh, uh, who? I have no idea. Uh, but God was dealing with those things. The, the, one of the things that people have said is that, that Satan was, because remember, in the Garden of Eden, God gives this, this prophecy, right, about Jesus Christ. Because he tells uh, Eve, I'm going to put enmity between your seed and the woman's seed. You will crush his heel, but he will crush your head. Speaking of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so one of the things that people have, uh, uh, have hypothesized is that Satan was trying to pollute uh, the bloodline of Jesus Christ, right? Now, in the bloodline of Jesus Christ, we have prostitutes and we have foreigners and people who worshiped idols and all those things, but no demonic blood, right? Uh, God was very, very careful about that. And so it, it's a hypothesis. It's kind of extra information. You, could, you can look into that if you'd like. But here's what it reminds me of. Now, as far as hamstringing the horses uh, and burning the chariots, remember, remember, that was the symbol of strength. That was a symbol of strength. And God says, I want you to hamstring the horses. I want you to burn the chariots. It was absolutely symbolic, okay? The horses were not sinful. You understand this, right? Animals are not sinful. That's why God allowed in the old covenant for animals to be used as a blood sacrifice, right? Because animals were not sinners. They're not sinners. They're not capable of, of that thought, Okay. Uh, now, you know, do our, our animals going to be in heaven and blah, 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 blah. I mean, don't ask me. It depends on if, if heaven for you includes animals being there, okay? <laughs> you know, uh, they don't have an eternal soul, right? Now, when God creates a new heaven and a new earth, I would like to believe that I will be able to ride a tyrannosaur, or, you know what I'm saying, or a brontosaurus or a triceratops. That's why I always want to sit behind that big shell, you know what I mean, and ride that bad boy around, you know what I mean, stomping sinners out. No, I'm kidding. But, but like, you know, you know that's, that's, I don't know. I don't know how God, what, what God is, is going to do. Uh, but animals are not good or bad or indifferent. They're just animals, right? We've been given stewardship of this world, okay? We should treat animals. That's why I don't own pets. I have pets in my house for some reason. They don't even belong to me because God likes to, to hurt my feelings. That's what it is. And they're watching other people's animals, right? And they're, you know what I mean? And they're in everything and, oh, but animals, you know what I mean? But animals aren't good or bad. God's given a stewardship of them. The reason I don't have an animal is because they should be treated right. <laughs> My animal's not getting any love. I don't want to deal with it, an animal, right? If you have an animal, you should treat the animal with kindness, right? The Bible even talks about that right? I don't, I don't even, I don't stomp on little beasts and creatures. I don't, I don't believe that. They're creation. They're, they're created by God. They're innocent. They're innocent. Mosquitoes. I, I wish I could kill every mosquito. And I mean like Canaanite kill them. Burn them. Burn their cities. Ziklag. Burn them to the ground. That's the parasites right there. I hate the stupid mosquitoes. And I can say that with no guilt or shame. Um, but this is a symbol. This is symbolic of God saying, their strength, their strength, I want you to have nothing to do with. 
what their strength is, what everyone else would look at and say, this is what makes them great. It's not for me. It's not about me. And I want you to put that thing away from you. That's what the hamstringing of the horses and the burning of the chariots represents. Now, it's interesting because if you go to Revelation uh, chapter 18, uh, and read the whole chapter uh, of, of Re- Revelation chapter 18. You know, go home tonight. Babylon, and I'm just going to read, Dad's going to do his book here in, in, in a few months. But Babylon is representative, is representative of this unholy uh, combination of world government and world religion. Okay? And this is what's going to be going on during the tribulation period under the Antichrist. This, this combination of, of government and religion into one unholy union. Oh, holy cow. I have gone way over. Okay. Let me, let me, let me pick this up. Uh, anyway, I'm not even going to read it. Read chapter 18 of Revelation when it talks about God destroying Babylon and the kings standing afar off and weeping and wailing and throwing dust on their heads because of God's final destruction uh, of Babylon. But uh, so was God's judgment on these cities in Canaan. You, know, you got to understand, God reserves the right to judge, and people have all sorts of problems with God's judgment. And, and if you listen to atheists talk and agnostics talk, and they go after the Bible about the Old Testament, and Christians are like, well, you know, uh, well, well, what? Well, nothing. Well, nothing. He's Almighty God, and He reserves the right to judge. You know what I'm saying? Not only am I not going to try to explain away and excuse what God did in the Old Testament, He's going to do worse in, in, when, in the tribulation, just so you know. It's going to be way worse during the tribulation period. I don't apologize that for that. I don't apologize for God being who he is. We ought to never, ever do that. The word of God stands as it is, and God's judgment is what it is. And each one of these cities, God did militarily the same thing as he did to Sodom and Gomorrah supernaturally. He wiped them out because of the wickedness that was there. 500 years this has been in the making where he told Abraham when he first called him, I'm not sending you there yet because the sins of the Amorites have not yet reached their fulfillment. They'd reached their fulfillment. Uh, if, you, if you go into Revelation 14, um, you have the, the reaping of the grapes of wrath, right? Where, there, where God is in heaven, he's looking down on mankind and it's ripe for judgment. And it's pictured as the, the, this, this harvest of grapes and they are absolutely, they're fattest and juiciest and reddest. And it is right now the time to, to do this, this harvest. And there's a sickle that he has in his hand and these angels have in their hands and this reaping of the grapes of wrath. It, what it means is it is the absolute culmination and fulfillment and apex of all of man's wickedness and rebellion and hatred towards God. And God's going to judge it, man. God's going to judge it. Never forget the gospel that we preach. We talk about the love of Jesus Christ and his grace and his mercy because it's the kindness of God that brings men and women to repentance. You, you don't get them to come to repentance by telling them, turn or burn, you know. It's through the kindness of God. But make no mistake, we are trying to save them from hell, from damnation, from eternal destruction. These are the stakes. And God is going to once more shake both the heavens and the earth, it says. And there is going to be a final judgment and destruction against the wickedness of mankind. Last thing I want to say, there can be no agreements with wickedness, the flesh, or sin. Even within our own lives as Christians, those of us who are redeemed, God's instructions are crucifixion. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. Galatians 5.24, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Colossians 3.5, therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and so forth. 
And I'm amazed when I see Christians and parts of the Christian church so desperately trying to befriend the world that will never have them as a friend. You understand, the world will never, ever accept your faith as it is biblically. The world will never receive that. And if it says in James 4, 4, adulterers and adulteresses, he's speaking to the church. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. This is Moses' line drawn in, drawn in the sand, right? And for us, it's a spiritual battle. We're not out there with swords and God says, take the city. That's the Old Covenant. That's the Old Testament as he worked with the nation of Israel. We are in a spiritual battle. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, right? But with principalities and the spiritual realm. That's where our battle lies. And this whole world, the Bible says, lies under the sway of the wicked one. And so there is no friendship to be made. There is no explaining when people say, your faith is stupid. Your faith is just like, okay, let me convince you. Let me convince you. They're never going to learn because you can retreat and you can retreat and you can treat. Okay, I'll give you creation. Okay, I'll give you the Red Sea. Okay, I'll give you that. No, that's probably not possible. Blah, blah, blah. And it's going to get to the point, no matter how far you retreat, they're going to try to kill your faith there. That's why God says, you go to the gates of hell. That's why God says, Joshua, you go into the city and burn it to the ground. That's how God deals with sin. And that's how he wants us to deal with sin in our lives. No compromise whatsoever. Joshua later in chapter 24, 15, and I'm closing with this, said, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the, on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You will serve the Lord. Hey, listen, we may not be perfect. We're far from it. And we're far from where God has intended for us to be and what he's intended for us to become, no doubt. But one thing I know, me and my house will serve the Lord. At the end of the day, if they come knocking, Christian, don't shoot them, okay? They're going to come and ask you if you've been vaccinated. I'm going to stab them in Jesus' name if they come to my house. Would you please tell them about Jesus for heaven's sakes? Would you please go out there and tell them about Jesus? Because your sensitivities to whether or not the vaccination is going to cause you to grow a third eye and a horn coming out of the side of your ear, and it may, I don't know. That's not what's at stake here. It's the souls of those poor people coming to your house to ask you about the vaccination. And why are they all, why is people, are people so caught up in the, because they're scared. Because their whole life is what they have. They're seeking to save their lives. They're seeking to save their lives. But those who lose their, their lives, Jesus said, for my sake, will gain them. What is your life? We exist to serve Almighty God. Pump me full of the vaccination. Give me three. Give me one in each foot, one in the leg, one through the eye socket, okay? I don't want the stupid thing, but if I could bring one person to Jesus Christ through it killing me, so be it. That's crazy. That's crazy. This faith that we have is radical. They didn't kill Jesus for no good reason. He's a good man. He's a good teacher. He was special. <laughs> oh, he's like, no, 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 no. He was either a liar, an absolute lunatic, or the king of kings. They saw him as a threat, an imminent danger to their belief system, and they killed him for it. He was a radical. Make no mistake about it. This faith of ours is radical, and it's not figurative. When the Bible talks about laying down your life. Hey, Americans, we've had it so easy. I mean, really, right? It's a joke. 
You know what I'm saying? I'm going to stop on the way home from church to get my latte. I'm going to watch the game. I got one of those massages. Connie, could you massage my back? What's happening? You know, my chaise lounge has made me sore and stuff. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm, hey, I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful to live where I live. I'm so thankful for the blessings in my life and for the comforts that I have. But that's not why I exist. That's not why Jesus called me. And all of it, in a moment's notice, God wants us to be willing to lay it on the altar. What are you going to do if they round you up and they put you in a FEMA camp? You won't be laughing then. No, I'll be preaching then. Because that's what we've been called to do. I don't know what the future holds. And I don't know what's going to happen in this country. It ain't looking great right now. It ain't looking great. My hope ain't the stars and stripes. My hope is in the stars that he created, not in them, but in the stripes that he laid upon the back of his only son. That's my hope. I am a citizen of heaven because of what Jesus Christ did for me. Amen? Amen. I could go on and on and on. Just give me another half hour. I'm kidding. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, uh, Lord, for the example of Joshua, Lord. And these verses can be difficult for us and hard, Lord, um, for us to accept, Lord, because the, our, our, our modern-day sensitivities, Father, cause us naturally to kind of recoil from some of these things that we read, Father. But you are, you are God. You are the creator uh, of the universe, Father, and you have set your laws in place, Lord, and you reserve the right to judge, and we praise you and we glorify you for that as well, Lord, as for your grace and your mercy and your goodness. Uh, Lord, we ask and pray in Jesus' name that you would help us, Lord, to square our faith with our lives, uh, Lord, and that we would not be afraid of anything, Lord, um, but we would be willing to just completely walk in the steps that you lay out for us, Father. The path is difficult, the gate and the way is narrow, Lord, uh, your word says. Give us faith, give us strength, Lord, to follow after you wherever you take us, Lord, uh, and not to count our lives as precious, Father, but to count and reckon ourselves as the Scripture selves dead, uh, crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live, and yet not us, but Christ who lives and dwells in us, Father. May that be the reality in our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks, everybody. Sorry about that.